0: Celgene Corporation makes a big bet on genotherapeutics. And what's happening to health insurance next year? This is Industry Focus. Hi, Fools. Healthcare analyst Michael Douglas here for this Wednesday edition of Industry Focus. It is Wednesday july 1st and i am pleased to be on the phone with todd campbell todd let's hop right into it we've got two very interesting very different topics so uh, folks who are listening please forgive me if the transition is less than uh, less than stellar but i thought these were really two interesting news pieces and wanted to talk about them both um we're trying different things out here at industry focus so as always if you have feedback thoughts comments questions shoot us an email industryfocus at and again that's industry focus one word at full.com All right, so let's hop right in. Um, Celgene, big bet on Juno Therapeutics, which is a, a clinical stage biotech uh, well-known for its CAR-T and TCR drug development platform.
1: I think that one of the reasons that people have been thinking that biotech stocks are overvalued has been the um, surging price of biotech companies like Juno. They're working on uh, brand new, innovative ways of tackling cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, Celgene obviously doesn't dis- doesn't agree that this is an overvalued area, right? Um, <laughs> since they just know, put you know put a
0: since- billion dollars into uh, what nine point one million shares of Juno, giving it a ten percent stake in the company. I mean, that that's not the sort of thing that uh, indicates uh, a belief that those shares are overvalued. Yeah,
1: it's it's a crazy complicated deal. There's a lot of moving pieces to it. But I mean, the takeaway really is that this is Celgene saying, listen, you know, we think that there's a real potential here in CARTY. We want to make sure that we're lined up with the leaders in it so that we can capitalize on it. If this stuff works mm-hmm. uh, in larger, later stage clinical trials, and you know, again, those are all caveats that we always remind people of here on Industry Focus. <laughs> right, a lot of times we're talking about this really, really exciting, innovative medicine um, that you know is still very early in development, and a lot can go wrong over that period of time, but. You know, that being said, yes, CellGene is making a big commitment. They, they're they giving Juno $150 million in cash up front uh, with those strings attached, if you will. And then they've also said, not only do we want to give you some money to, to pad your balance sheet to fund all of these trials you're going to be doing, but we want to come along to the ride by buying uh, shares in your company. So what they've done is they said, we're going to give you another $850 bucks to buy 9 million shares Um. Of Juno you know, Therapeutics stuff.
0: Yeah, and and it's interesting because you know you 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 brought up that point, Todd, that I think a lot of people um, say, which is that biotech is is overvalued, or, or, or that 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 is certainly a perception. And certainly, if you look by, I, I think a lot of traditional metrics, it could definitely be argued that it is compared to a lot of other sectors. But that's in part because you've got a lot of uh, companies that don't have earnings <laughs> because they are clinical stage and. It's very difficult to value exactly what's going to happen, whether those drugs are going to to make it um, through clinical trials, and then even if they make it through clinical trials and get FDA approval, whether they're actually going to be commercial successes. Those are always big question marks, and so for that reason, I think I would argue it's just very difficult to value clinical stage biotechs and um, and anyone. Yeah, and I, you know what, yeah.
1: <laughs> Michael, it's even more difficult really now because I mean, you look at this deal and you say, okay. I was thinking Juno was a little bit expensive because it's trading at a market cap of $5 billion, right? Right. Well, you know, Celgene has just slapped a price tag on the shares that it's buying of $93 a share, which is, you know, like 40% higher than today. Right. So, you know, what is the real value of this? Uh, we don't, no one really knows because we're years away from having a commercial product on the market.
0: Yeah. That said, it is also, I think, important to to point out that we we often talk about uh, here on industry focus that when a drug gets a a big farmer or a big biotech partner a drug that's owned by a small a small company that's a good sign I would say when you have a small company that gets let's say, partially bought, you know, a, a partial stake in it from a big biotech or a big farmer, that's also a very good sign. And when uh, when you think about Celgene, you know, this is not uh, an abnormal thing for them to do. They've actually done this a, a number of times, um, thinking about equity stakes and and getting in pretty early stage on companies.
1: Yeah, Celgene doesn't mess around, and they love to take equity stakes in, in their collaborations. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that investors have to recognize, too, is that, I mean, Celgene is great at what they do. Um, they're top tier company, yeah. um, and you have to have, give them some some benefit of the doubt that they're making this investment because they see some big time potential. You know, I, I listened to the conference call; they think that they could have a product on the market from this collaboration as early as two thousand and twenty. You know, and for Celgene, you know, the other thing is that this isn't this is kind of a rounding error deal for them. I mean, it's a big deal for Juno, but it's a rounding error for them. I mean, they've got over seven billion dollars in cash, right. so this one billion dollars isn't isn't you know isn't a huge deal for them. Um, I mean, they're doing 8 billion in sales right now. They're expected to, to grow their to more than double that by 2020 without the help of products from collaborations like this one with Juno. So I think that Celgene is basically just saying, you know what, I think that Juno has something really good and that it could be big and it could be blockbuster big. Why don't we align ourselves with them and make sure that we're the ones who capture the benefit if, if, if it's true.
0: Yeah, no, and, and and that makes perfect sense. Um, of course, the question, and, and and Todd, you know, you you mentioned a little bit uh, giving Celgene the benefit of the doubt. Well, what do you think? You're a Celgene shareholder, for that matter. So am I. Um, what do you think about the deal from Celgene's point of view? Obviously, from Juno's, it's a great deal. But uh, but what about yeah, as, yeah. as a Celgene shareholder?
1: I I'm totally I'm totally okay with it. I love Celgene. I think that this is just another bit of evidence showing that they're not afraid. Of getting involved in what could be transformational medicine. I mean, you know, if you can re engineer a patient's immune system to better identify and kill cancer cells and reduce the reliance on chemotherapy, that is a game changing uh, new approach. Yeah. So, you know, I applaud it. I'm loving it. Um, for full disclosure, I, I don't own Juno. Right. um but i think that ultimately long term this is short money to get the potential for big money down the road
0: yeah um for yeah for me this is just continuance of what we've seen for a long time as sort of a, a key selling strategy where they where they get in early uh, they get in big and then they and then they find ways to to monetize and it it makes good sense to me um as a potential long term again you know juno the, the one any one particular deal might flame out, but uh, with just a number of them, with a lot of opportunity, that can be a really good thing for shareholders in Celgene, It certainly has been. All right, so with that with that commentary out of the way, let's go ahead and hop to uh, the Kaiser Family Foundation. And I just that reading reading stuff the Kaiser Family Foundation comes out is just usually such a pleasure um, because um, I. I, I Find their their data just fascinating and usually very well analyzed. Um, and they uh, released an analysis of, uh, and I'm quoting here from the title: "2016 Premium Changes and Ensure Participation in the Affordable Care Act's Health Insurance Marketplaces." And it looks like health insurance next year for folks who have uh, who have uh, plans purchased in the um, marketplaces. For many of them, it looks like um, costs may increase a little bit.
1: Yeah, they're gonna they're going higher. Um, Right now, the Kaiser Family Foundation saying that of the of the major markets that they were able to get the information from, uh, the average is going to increase by about four point four percent for next year. Uh, That's not a huge amount of money, right, Michael? Right.
0: right, No, I mean, you know, that's we've seen. I mean, (laughs) well, I've I've seen plenty of apartments who raise their rents at you know ten or fifteen percent a year. So four and a half doesn't sound so bad, does it?
1: No, I mean, it, it, I think that, you know, it's probably still going to grab a lot of people's attention because certain markets are going to grow a lot more than other markets mm-hmm. um, based on this, you know, this you know first look, if you will, at the data. Uh, Portland, Oregon, for example, um, you know, the rates for plans there could go up more than 16% based on what people have filed so far. Mm-hmm. You know, the other end of that is that in Seattle, Washington, plan prices could fall as much as 10%. So, you know, those are the big outliers when you decide, and people are going to have to watch to see what market they live in. I think that the biggest takeaway here, though, is not just going to be, okay, it's a 4% increase, but it's also that based on the plans that that were submitted that Kaiser took a look at, in order to stay in the lowest-priced plans, the lowest-priced one or two silver plans, consumers are going to have to switch insurers again. Yeah. Because the, the, it, the greatest increases that are occurring in plans that are pre-existing and, you know, where prices are being kept down is with the, the new entrance into a particular state. So this is shaping up a lot like, you know, for lack of a something better, better comparison, uh, auto insurance. Where it seems like in any given year you can swap out to another carrier and reduce your monthly premiums.
0: (laughs) Sure, and and that's an interesting dynamic. Of course, it makes sense for new entrants. They need to seize market share. The best way to do that, probably, Um, I mean, you know, let's face it, the formulary um, is long and complicated. Usually, sort of what's covered and what isn't is long and complicated. Probably, the easy thing to do is to is to have that headline price come a little bit lower than what the others. Um, what the others are showing, of course, for particularly um, discerning buyers, it it can be a, a different calculus. But um, that that top line number is probably a, a big part of that. Um, certainly, an interesting an interesting development. Something we'll want to watch. Um, now, I, I should caveat. Uh, my understanding was that these are uh, primarily the the two the, the lowest priced uh, silver plans. Which remember, with the Affordable Care Act, you have got. Um, you've got bronze, you've got silver, you've got gold, and you've got platinum, which are based on sort of what percentage of costs are generally going to be picked up by the plan um, in a lot of circumstances. Um, this is an actuarial analysis of the plans. Um, so, keep in mind, you know, the silvers may not necessarily represent the rest of the market, but um, probably a good leading indicator, and especially given that silver plans are a large percentage of the overall individual insurance market in the exchanges, um, definitely a big trend.
1: Yeah, I, I think the takeaway for, you know, people listening here um, to the podcast is that, you know, I've said this before on the show, never doubt an insurer's ability to price a product correctly. <laughs> um, you know, they will make money. Right. Um, so, you know, insurance companies, that come in with a, with a lower rate that gets the market share, and then they can look back at their experience for medical claims in the prior year and say, okay, did we price this? Um, to maximize you know the the profit potential now none of these companies are getting rich off of their a c a plans i mean you know the the profit margin estimates for these plans are somewhere between three and five percent right. this isn't this isn 't huge, but it is a numbers game i mean if you 're talking about millions and millions of people signing up through the exchanges um then a four point four percent increase is pretty substantial for top and bottom line uh growth
0: yeah definitely um and like I said, uh, here here at in on the health team at Motley Fool, you know, we have been keeping a close eye on the Affordable Care Act for a very long time, um, and even with um, the recent um, court decision, there will still be a lot to talk about with this law, where it's succeeding, where it has opportunities. Um, and also what issues it may have. And in fact, I would encourage folks listening, uh, shoot us an email with your thoughts on what's going on with the law, industryfocusatfool.com. Again, if I haven't plugged it enough. Um, Todd, thanks much for your take. Uh, folks, as always, come back to The Motley Fool and the daily Industry Focus podcast, as well as Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money, which are, are also um, frequent flyers in our podcast um, collection. Uh, for all of your investing needs, come back. Thanks much. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about. The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear.